Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey guys, on today's pod, I talked with Philip Rossman Reich about the Raptors' upcoming first round matchup with the Orlando Magic. Obviously, the Raptors should be able to handle this series without too much of a problem. Toronto enters the series as the more talented team, but I mean, if anyone knows that being the more talented team doesn't guarantee anything, it's us Raptors fans. So, Philip gives a full rundown of the Orlando Magic lineup, how they match up with the Raptors, and some key things to watch in this series, and you know what Orlando needs to do from their perspective if they want to be successful. I always think it's good to have an analyst on from another team prior to the series to give us a real breakdown of the opposing team. Obviously, when you watch a team for 82 games, you can pick up on some stuff that other people can't just casually watching. And you guys can follow Philip on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd, and you can find all of his work at Orlando Magic Daily. I really think Philip's one of the best guys covering the Magic right now, and. You know, if you want to read up on the magic before the series and kind of do one last cram to see who our opponent is, I suggest that you check him out and again check out Orlando Magic Daily. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross and Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Philip Rossman Reich, how is it going? It's going good. How are you? I am great. Uh, Getting ready for this Raptors series, uh... It's been a little bit of a whirlwind here trying to get everything prepped and previewed for the next couple of days, but the NBA playoffs are here, and it's been 82 long games, and it's exciting to get started. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel I feel the same, just kind of, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys expect it to be in this position. Uh, it's been a mad rush for the Magic over the last few weeks to, to just get in. A lot of good vibes down here in Orlando, but uh, definitely definitely interested and intrigued by this this upcoming playoff series with the Raptors. At the lowest point this season, what did you think that the Magic's playoff percentages were? Because this is a 
real last-ditch effort to get into the postseason. And to be honest, I didn't think that this was going to happen early on in the year. So kind of what percentage change would you give this early on? Ah, uh, I mean, like at the beginning of the season, you know, I, I, I think I told people like that there, there is a universe where the Magic make the playoffs. But, you know, the fact that the Magic essentially rolled back the same team from last year that won just 25 games, you know, if they were healthy, they were probably a, a low 30s, mid 30s type of type win team. And, you know, I think generally the goal for the Magic as far as kind of continuing their rebuild and continuing to show just kind of steady progress, I think most of us would have been satisfied if. They were playing meaningful games after the All-Star break. Um, you know, at their lowest point this year, they were 20 and 31. Um, you know, maybe some people might say the lowest point was where they came back from a West Coast road trip where they won only one of five games and blew more than double-digit leads in the second half of three of those four losses. And it was just this kind of, you know, I, I want to say just kind of this inevitability that, that you know, the season's going to kind of drift away. and. You know, I, I think I, I was someone who was always on the road of after watching this team play. Like, yes, this team has playoff potential, but they have to do so many things right. They have to just everything has to kind of click into place for them to reach it. It's just not going to happen consistently. But at some point in February, early February, that light that light switch flicked on and they started really kind of getting what they needed to do every night to win games. And, and, and they've started winning games like surprisingly comfortably uh, for a team that, that, you know, for most of this time, he was just kind of like you, you punch them once and, and they go down. It, it, it's been a really stunning turnaround. So what's been the biggest difference this year between Orlando teams, you know, this team that made the playoffs and the magic teams of the past, obviously the defense has improved to the eighth ranked overall defense and the first ranked after the all-star game. But is there anything kind of more subtle on this team that you notice that's different in past years? Uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it's it's not anything that you can maybe like put a stat to or or, or point to directly. But but I do think it's really a, a mentality. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of credit for the Magic's turnaround, and, and I think the players have gone almost out of their way sometimes to give credit to uh, Steve Clifford for kind of changing the attitude and, and the mentality of this team. I mean. This is a group that that has had lots of disappointments uh, over the last few years. I mean, they last year they started eight and four. They were the talk of the league, and then injuries hit them, and they they never recovered. They only won 25 games last year. This year they kind of were kind of muddying along the same path, and yet they really stuck to it. They bought into what the coach was saying. They they kind of were kind of gradual learners in that system, and then again, it just all kind of clicked for them, and that that confidence just kind of bred bred within the team. Um, this wasn't a team that that seemed scarred by losing, and I remember writing so many things early in the season about how it just felt like the losing from so many years just kind of left this indelible mark that they they just couldn't get over. They got over. It. They they found a way, and, and you know you you know it's it's crazy because they don't have that kind of go-to player, but you really trust them late in games to find the right play to find that shot that they need uh, and, and pull it out. You know, will they do that in the playoffs? I, I think that is definitely a major question. But at least for the regular season, they were they proved themselves to be such a tough out and such a tough team to handle that that they were in control of a lot of games that they played this year. And it's, it, I, I really give a lot of credit to Steve Clifford for kind of changing that mentality. Yeah, he's made a great positive impact, I think, especially defensively with that team. You The personnel there, they play a little bit above their heads in my mind. They have, you know, Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac are great individual defenders but when you talk about dj augustine nikola vucevic and evan fournier that doesn't scream top 10 defensive team to me 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, those none of those. I mean, outside of Gordon and Isaac, none of those guys are anywhere near top flight defenders. I mean, I think most Magic fans would tell you the biggest weakness the team had was that their best player uh, in Nikola Vucevic was essentially a neutral player because whatever he scored, he would give up on the defensive end. And, you know, I think, again, it, it all goes back to schemes and, and honestly it goes back to a little bit of uh, effort's not the right word, but just kind of focus and attention to detail, which are big, big things that Steve Clifford's into. He's, he's so good at teaching exactly what you need to do in each situation and having his team prepared and ready for every situation that at least in the regular season, it makes it easier to execute um, when, when, you know, teams can't kind of hone in on your weaknesses. And, you know, I think, you know, we'll see some of the things that kind of made everyone skeptical about Nikola Vucevic and, and even Evan Fournier, who I think is going to get the primary guard, uh, guard du- guarding duties on, on Kyle Lowry in this series. Um, I think we're going to see some of those weaknesses picked out because it is the playoffs and, and they kind of can, can kind of pick out where they want to want to attack a little bit more with a little bit more detail and care than they can in a regular season game when you got you know 24 hours in a walkthrough to prepare rather than a rather than a practice and you know your singular focus but um you know I think I think Vucevic has really stepped up his game uh, Fournier has become at least a neutral defender if not a plus defender uh, and, and that's really changed a lot of things for the Magic they really cover for each other really well and their length gives a lot of teams problems that's something that Raptor fans kind of have a pretty good grasp of, I feel, in Nikola Vucevic's ability to translate his game to the postseason. And Jonas Valanciunas was a guy who's pretty similar in that the defensive metrics and the advanced metrics like defensive RPM and PIPM paint him as a pretty good team defender. Uh, when you watch it on the court, it seems a little bit different and you start to question that. And, you know, it's a little bit more questionable as you translate it to the postseason, particularly against the top teams who can target an individual defender more aptly than those in a regular season when you're forced to kind of, like you said, it's a 24-hour day or 24 walkthrough and there's not time to kind of prep and go at him. Uh, one area I wanted to kind of que- question you about or kind of get your insight is you think Evan Fournier will be guarding uh, Kyle Lowry. Could you kind of just go more into the reasoning of that cross matchup? Um, you know, I think it's it's frankly, uh, you know, DJ Augustin, like you like you said, not particularly known as a good defender. And, uh, you know, Steve Clifford is someone who, who tr- trusts Evan Fournier to guard sort of the best guard on the floor. Um, you know, I think we'll see. And, and I think this is the case for for a lot of the matchups. We'll see a lot of switching and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, different guys thrown at them. You know, I, I think I think if you look back to that game uh, in, in early April at Toronto, Evan Fournier started on Kyle Lowry, but when DJ Augustin struggled to keep track of Danny Green, they switched it. They switched that and had Augustine guard Lowry. So it's not that I, I think that they don't trust Augustine to guard Lowry. I think that it's it's more that Fournier is the quote-unquote better defender, and I think that they like the size on one of the bigger uh, ball handlers. Um, you know, I think Augustine does a better job defensively than people give him credit for, but he does give up a lot of size and a lot of weight, and I think that, that the concern there – uh, for the Magic, especially in this series, I think, is to prevent paint touches. It's to prevent guys from getting into the lane. And, and so I think that, you know, Lowry would be able to kind of bowl through Augustine. I mean, that's something that Augustine struggled a lot with, with a lot of the bigger guards, like your Eric Bledsoe's, for instance, uh, when, when I was kind of prepping for the Magic to maybe face the, the Bucks there for a little while. Um, that was a huge matchup disadvantage that the Magic had. And so I think, um, you know, kind of one thing that the Magic like to do is have DJ – off the ball, you know, not guarding the point guard so he can roam around a little bit, kind of dig in and, and try and try and get some steals and, and then try and challenge out of the three-point line. We'll see if that works. I, I do think, though, that, that the Magic are going to want to put 
Augustine on someone who's not going to attack him so much off the dribble, and Fournier's kind of proven himself to be a better defender defender for the Magic on the perimeter. If you were working for the Raptors coaching staff and you were trying to come up with uh, offensive game plan to attack the Magic, what would be kind of the area that you shoot for? Um, the, the kind of big thing that I, I would shoot for is uh, pick and rolls, at getting my man to the middle. Um, and, you know, I think I think uh, the Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol pick and roll is going to be kind of is going to be a huge factor in this series, especially with Marcus Gasol's ability to to pop out to the three point line. Uh, the one thing that you have to do to to beat the Magic is get into the middle of the lane, and, and more specifically, get pick and rolls where Nikola Vucevic is kind of on his own on an island. You want him kind of backpedaling. The Magic are are gonna set Vucevic. Kind of further back, he kind of sets. He's kind of sets a line, and his job then is to direct the player toward the wing uh, and away from the middle of the floor, so that the guard can recover and then he can recover back. So, if you run some like pick and pop, if you run a lot of pick and pops uh, with the with the guard heading toward the middle of the lane, you're gonna find some holes there. And so, I think I think a big part of this series is. Can Kyle Lowry get over some of his his playoff chinkses that he's had? And I know I know those are well documented with Toronto fans. Is he going to be able to get into the middle of the lane against this Magic defense? And is Marcus Gasol going to be able to hit threes at a consistent clip? Which which I think he generally can and, and has since since uh since getting comfortable in Toronto after after that trade. Um, I think that that's going to be a really big key to this this series is getting to the heart of the Magic's defense, sort of isolating Nikola Vucevic in pick and rolls. And if the Raptors are able to do that, they're going to find themselves able to score and free up guys like Danny Green or Pascal Siakam or Kawhi Leonard on, on the perimeter because the Magic are going to have to try and pack the paint to, to keep those paint touches from happening. I don't want to get bogged into it too much. I, the other thing I would push back is a little bit the Kyle Lowry playoff yeah. failures uh, the past four years uh, really just haven't been there. Uh, if you kind of look at it, um, it's probably more narrative than anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it started early on, but, uh, I I don't want to get too involved with that. Moving on. Uh, who do you think guards on Kawhi Leonard and who takes on Pascal? Uh, just kind of at first glance, I would say that Jonathan Isaac probably gets matched up with Kawhi, but there might be a little bit of issues there with some bully ball and Kawhi is a pretty physical offensive player kind of pushing his guy down into the paint. Do you think that there might be, uh, will Aaron Gordon then be matched up on Kawhi? How will those two match up? I mean, I think I think we'll see plenty of switching, and I think we'll see both guys get their turn. But but I think Aaron Gordon is going to be the primary defender on Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, Steve Clifford essentially hinted or said as much um, after after practice on on Thursday um, that you know he's been really actually very happy with how Aaron Gordon has defended Kawhi Leonard this season. Uh, you know, obviously regular season. But Kawhi Leonard scored only 18 points per game, shot less than 50% effective field goal percentage against the Magic in three games, so very small sample size. But Aaron Gordon, you know, when when he's in a big defensive matchup, his his ears perk up a little bit, and and, and he plays some really good defense, and, and he's honestly the most trusted defender on the Magic, and most honestly the most trusted player on the Magic as a whole. If if you look at look at the minutes, he plays the most minutes per game of any player. Uh, and he is the guy that gets the primary wing assignment. Aaron Gordon is going to start on Kawhi Leonard. He has played Kawhi Leonard very, very well this year. That is regular season. I do know that I do believe and, and know that Kawhi Leonard has an extra gear, and that I think is going to be one of the bigger defensive matchups that the Magic have. Uh, Aaron Gordon has to kind of—I don't think he's ever going to hold Kawhi Leonard down down so much, but. 
he's got to kind of put a little bit of a stranglehold, a little bit of pressure on that matchup and, and at least push that matchup defensively if the Magic want to have a chance in this series. And he's uh, he was able to do that in the regular season, which I think gave the Magic a real chance to win all win those game, win all four of the games that they played. They obviously split the season series, but the playoffs are a different animal, and, and we're going to see just how good of a defender Aaron Gordon is. Um, Jonathan Isaac will get his turn, I think, as well. Um, if they ever need to switch, they don't mind switching that. But it, I think that's Gordon's assignment to, to try and stop Kawhi Leonard. How has Gordon been this season? Uh, when he was first signed to that contract extension, to me, that just screamed contract that wanted to be traded eventually later on. With When you look at the way it was structured and it was a decreasing salary, it seemed like one that was kind of just tailor-made to be traded later in the season. And then when you compare that with Jonathan Isaac on the uh, perimeter, whose natural position is probably for, power forward, both those guys, at least in my eyes, are power forwards before small forwards. Do you think that those guys can coexist, and do you think that Aaron Gordon is still a part of this team's future? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that those were all legitimate questions, and I think there's questions that are still somewhat open-ended. I mean, I think it's it's easy to forget. Aaron Gordon's only 23 years old. I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. He's he's still kind of growing and figuring out a lot of who he is. Uh, and so I think that the Magic they signed that contract. I think you're right with the intention of let's front load this contract because we're not we're not ready to spend in free agency yet. Uh, and and maybe down the road we can trade him for something. I mean, obviously at the trade deadline there's all these articles and talk about. You know, swapping him for you know a, a, a maybe a bigger name, maybe not, but kind of getting him out of Orlando in, in some way. And I don't think those are ever going to die during this contract. It's, again, it's set up to do that. Um, but the, the the fact of the matter is, Aaron Gordon is still growing a lot as a player. Um, I, I think that he, you know, last year he kind of broke out as a scorer. This year he kind of got back to his defensive roots. And, and like I said, he was the guy that that Steve Clifford. He's probably the guy Steve Clifford trusts most on the defensive end, and, and that's why he gets the most minutes. Um, it would not surprise me if there is a close game in this series if Gordon is the one guy on the team that plays the entire second half, if, if needed. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that Clifford is going to lean very heavily on Gordon throughout this series, and honestly, he's going to shadow Kawhi Leonard for sure, at least minutes-wise. If Kawhi Leonard's in the game, Aaron Gordon will probably be in the game too. Um, that's that's how I think that's how much Gordon has developed as a defensive player. His offensive shot selection's gotten a lot better. He's not forcing as many shots. He's not trying to be a, a an all star all the time like he was last year. And I think those are really important uh, steps for growth. Um, the bottom line, though, is as far as playing Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac together, they've got to continue improving as three point shooters in order for that to happen. They, you, you just can't have two two wing players like them who aren't able to hit threes. And, and the good news on that front is. Aaron Gordon shot a really high three-point percentage this year, at least for him. He continued to improve his three-point shot. And as the season went on, Jonathan Isaac got a lot better with his three-point shot. The real reality here is, yes, there yes, there is still questions about whether Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac can play together. This year began to hint that, yeah, maybe they can. Maybe you can have these two switching uh, three, four forwards that in, in this league. You don't necessarily need to say, oh, one is the four, one is the three. If both can hit three-pointers, they can both kind of play on the perimeter. Um, but I, I think that there's still there's still some questions, but they don't need to answer them now. I mean, I think, you know, being in the playoffs, I'll be able to see a little bit. But Isaac is still this very blank slate. He, you know, he he still gets most of his points sort of in transition or at, at spot, spotting up from behind the arc uh, in the corner for the most part. Um, so his offense is still very, very limited. So I, I don't think the Magic are quite at the point where – they need to make a final decision, and so I think they think Gordon's part of their future for the time being. No, that's a great point you made about his age. A lot of times we kind of 
as fans only realize when these guys are drafted and we forget about the age that they're actually drafted at. And when you said Aaron Gordon's 23, it just made me laugh because Pascal Siakam's 25. And we talk about, and Pascal Siakam has a different aging curve than most people because he picked up basketball when he was in high school. But it's, we talk about Pascal Siakam's ability to break out and Aaron Gordon's kind of been this cast off. He's plateaued into what he is when he's two years younger than Pascal Siakam. So it's just a really funny way to look at it. And his three-point growth this season, I think, has been one of the biggest determining factors on if he's able to play at the perimeter. I still think you have some questions with Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon, just overall skill set level and their ability to handle the ball, particularly in the pick and roll. But you're right. It's not a decision that you need to make when you're the Magic and you're obviously still building towards something kind of three, four years out. It's nice to make the postseason this year, but this year's this team is focused on a couple years out more than the immediate future. Yeah, and, and another and another point to Aaron Gordon's development, it's not just his three point uh three pointers that have grown. He averaged a career high in assists this year by almost an assist and a half, uh two two assists per game more than his previous career high. Um, he's flirted with a few triple doubles, which I don't think anyone saw coming from Aaron Gordon at, at any point uh, in in his career, uh, at least when he was drafted. So he's he's he still feels like he's more fully formed than than maybe we we think, but he still feels like he's still got a lot of growth to go, growth to go. And 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 you know I still think that you know he's probably still the the next best bet to be a magical to be an all star for the Magic. Um, Isaac, I think, has shown plenty of flashes of what he can do. It's just about kind of growing into his body and, and becoming more confident uh, on the floor and, and, and being willing to take guys off the dribble, which is still, I think, coming and developing for him. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Isaac believer just defensively. That skill set is unreal. Yeah, his, defense is, and, his defense is good. And uh, he also defensively, I still think he has room to grow in some of his kind of basic instincts and in making rotations faster. But the natural ability is clearly there, and if he can improve his three-point shot, I think he becomes a more useful cutter in that regard and really has room to grow offensively as well. Um, but we've talked about the starters a lot. What? Who are the main guys for the Magic bench? I know that that's been a little bit in flux this season when you talk about Michael Carter-Williams kind of recently coming into the fray. But who are the kind of key Magic bench pieces that you expect to get legitimate run during the uh, series? Yeah, I mean, and and the bench has been a really interesting story for the Magic all year. It, they started off the year as one of the worst benches in the league. They end the year with having one of the more, more impactful benches in the league, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting to to watch how they're used in the playoffs in this playoff series and whether they can kind of continue to to bring that momentum. Um, the first guy you got to talk about off the bench is a guy who should be in the conversation for sixth man of the year, a guy Toronto Raptors fans should be very familiar with, and it's Terrence Ross. Um, he's coming off a, a 35-point game against the Hornets, really single-handedly turned that game around. The Magic were trailing by eight, and I think Ross went on an 11-0 run, just hitting contested threes, and and he's really the team's best shot maker. He is a, he is a tough shot maker, and this is a Magic team that doesn't have a lot of guys like that. Um, he's one, he's turned games around just by making a couple threes and the energy on the whole team picks up tremendously. Uh, and, and so Ross has been absolutely vital to, to everything that the Magic do and kind of picking up the energy uh, when the starters struggle. And, and the Magic have a decent starting lineup. It, it tracks out statistically. But when Ross is on, when Ross has a really good game, the rest of the team gets lifted up, lifted up by it. Um, another guy to keep an eye on is, and I think he's going to actually be very key in this series for Orlando, is Wes, Wes Awundu, second-year player out of Kansas State. 
is really beginning to develop into a really nice 3 and D player. Um, he's a fantastic defender, um, but his three-point shot was kind of the big question mark entering entering the, the, the league. He's gotten it up to like 33, 34%, which is really, really good, but he's still a little bit reluctant to shoot it. Um, if I'm Toronto, he's the guy that I dare to shoot. Um, you know, you don't want to leave him completely wide open, but if you got to help off someone, you probably help off of Wesa Wundu. You certainly help off Michael Carter-Williams as well, but you help off Wesa Wundu and, and dare him to make that shot. And, and for the most part this year, he's made that shot, at, at least when he's comfortable, fairly consistently, and that's been a big boost to the Magic bench. And, and really the third guy to, to watch out for is Michael Carter-Williams. Ever since the Magic signed him to, a, to the 10-day contract, um, signed him for the rest of the year now, he has really changed the energy of that bench unit. Um, he plays at such a fast pace. He really gets them moving. Uh, the Magic tend to run a lot of lineups with him, Aaron Gordon, and Evan Fournier to start off second quarters. That group is just able to score and defend at, at a crazy pace. And, 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 you know, a lot of the Magic's best lineups have Michael Carter Williams in them. If the Magic, if, if let's say DJ Augustin is struggling defensively in this series, it would not surprise me to see Steve Clifford turn to Michael Carter Williams more. He's, he isn't able to shoot, but he's able to get into the lane and pick up the pace and play extraordinarily good defense, like very, very good defense. And that's really boosted the Magic overall. And really, this playoff push that the Magic made to get into the field, a lot of it is because of the turnaround from the bench. Michael Carter-Williams, a big part of that. Terrence Ross, a big part of that as well. They just lift the Magic up energy-wise and give and give them a, a real big ace in the hole uh, in in a lot of these games. Wessa Windu is someone who on April 1st, and it's tough kind of judging these other teams because obviously I'm so Raptors-focused and watching all 82 throughout there, but he's someone who against Toronto on April 1st really tore them up. He had 16 points, and I believe it was 7 of 7 shooting. Yep. And just absolutely had a great game. Uh, I've seen him in other games where you're right. It does seem like he's a little reluctant to shoot it, and he doesn't let it fly as much as he should or maybe as much as he's able to at this point. Michael Carter-Williams is someone that's interesting to me. He's been with Orlando for 12 games, um, and a lot of that was kind of in the junk time of the season when the teams just aren't as focused. I don't put as much weight into March stats as I do in the early months when every team is kind of at their full tilt. Uh, with that being said, he shot 33% from the field and 15% from three. I know all the points about the defense. He's obviously a hugely impactful defender. He can run a lot. Don't you worry a little bit in the postseason that with a little more advanced scouting and a little more kind of game planning that teams are just kind of kind of leave him completely on offense and that might stifle the rest of your uh, bench's kind of offensive spacing? Yeah, it's it's definitely very possible and, and, and honestly very likely. Um, you know, at, at some point Michael Carter Williams is going to have to make a shot. Um, but you know, I, I think if if he provides the same kind of energy defensively that he's provided in the regular season, and it's really it's really not so much even about that. It's about the pace at which he plays. Um, the Magic play. I think it's. I mean, again, late season stats. I, I agree with you on that point that that they can be a little little uh, muddy. Uh, muddied and, and there could be a lot of noise around them. But the Magic play, I think it's something like six or seven possessions per 48 minutes faster with Michael Carter-Williams, where they get six or seven more possessions per 48 minutes with Michael Carter-Williams on the floor. Uh, he is just able to, you know, if the Magic play defense at the level they know they can play defense, he's able to get the ball up the court faster and get the Magic into those sets and kind of catch defenses napping a little bit or, or catch defenses before they can get back. 
if this turns into a half-court game, I absolutely agree. Carter Williams' effectiveness goes down. You turn to D.J. Augustin a little bit more. But if the Magic are able to get up and down with him on the floor, he remains a huge asset. And, you know, we're talking about a 2-7 matchup here. I don't think anyone's under the impression the Magic are going to be able to make a ton of mistakes and, and win this and win the game in this series. They got to have a lot of things go go very right, but they got to stick with what kind of got them got them here to begin with. And, and Michael Carter Williams is certainly a big part of that. One thing I noted that you did not uh, kind of list in your backups there is a backup center. What do the Magic do when Nikola Vucevic goes out of the game, and kind of what's their strategy? Uh, they turn to Ken Birch, um, and, and again, kind of that 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 second unit with with Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Carter Williams and Ken Birch. Uh, as as the two guys, that's kind of that's kind of lineup they've been using to start a lot of second quarters. Um, and, and Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, Terrence Ross provide the offensive punch. Michael Carter Williams and Ken Birch are, are kind of the guys that that really lock down defensively. Um, where Nikola Vucevic is this offensive savant in a lot of ways, Ken Birch has quietly turned into one of the best, one of the biggest grinders in in the league. Um, you know, I think uh, he you saw on, on ESPN.com Zach Lowe had him in his uh in his uh. uh uh, his, you know, bench player, his role player, also on, on blank. Luke Walton, Luke Walton All Stars, yeah. Yeah, he was he was one of those guys, and and Birch is a, a guy who you know provides just a ton of defense. He, he isn't gonna wow you with rebounding stats or even block shot stats, but he does a very he's a he does a very good job covering pick and rolls. He, he honestly is probably the best center on the team at guarding pick and rolls, and that was even the case last year when he played somewhat limited minutes. Uh, and he does a really good job setting screens and rolling hard to the basket and forcing you to dive with them. And that creates space for Terrence Ross. That creates some space for Michael Carter-Williams to to drive into the lane and, and, and dish it out back to the perimeter. Uh, and, and Birch is just he's, – he's just a consummate grinder. I mean the question in this series is going to be can the Magic's offense survive without Nikola Vucevic and, and even to some extent DJ Augustin on the floor. And, and Birch is going to have to you know provide a little bit of offense – uh, as as far as that, but really his role is to set everyone else up around him with screens and, and with hustle plays, and and he's been, you know, honestly, it, the the biggest turning point in the Magic season was when Mo Bamba got hurt, and the Magic finally had to play Ken Birch, you know, almost immediately. That bench unit got better, the Magic got better, and and it's not to say Mo Bamba had a bad year, but he just wasn't ready for everything the NBA can throw at a kid. Uh, in the same way that Birch was. Birch, Birch is always in the right spot defensively, uh, or usually in the right spot defensively, and just makes good defensive plays all the time. He, he does a lot of the dirty work that, that every team needs, and, and, and he's a guy that the Magic absolutely trust. Canadian Ken Birch. So Canadian Ken Birch, yeah. Uh, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, he's he's been a nice surprise for them. Uh, one thing he mentioned was the Magic's inability to create offense or how they might struggle with Nikola Vucevic off the court. Um, what is their general game plan when Vooch goes off the court? I know they try to run most through him. He's the obviously the best offensive player on the team. Is it through Evan Fournier and kind of Terrence Ross and a more perimeter oriented approach, or how do they try to attack that? Yeah, they'll 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 go to a more perimeter approach. You'll see a lot more curls, especially for Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross kind of has just a a. a constant green light to shoot if, if he comes around a screen and there's enough space for him to get to get up he will take the shot i mean it's sometimes frustratingly so he will take take a lot of shots just without even thinking but he he he's able to hit them uh, again he's he's the best tough shot maker on the team you'll see a lot more pick and rolls with evan fournier you'll see aaron gordon uh get 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 in the action a little bit more with with cuts you know maybe they'll run some isos for him especially on the post um which he's 
okay at, not great. Um, you'll see a lot more motion within the offense, and, and really that, that's, that's something the Magic like to do, running motion sets off of Nikola Vucevic, but you'll see a lot less two-man game and a lot more kind of get Ross going off of, a, off of a bunch of screens to get him free, uh, run pick and rolls with Evan Fournier, find ways to get Aaron Gordon cutting through the lane. They'll open up the lane a lot more with Nikola Vucevic out. Um, because they, they don't need to, they don't need to run post ups for him. They don't need to kind of run through the post them, uh, and and they'll try and just kind of keep guys in constant motion. And again, they'll try and get out and transition a lot more. They'll try and play, commit to their defense, use that to get out and transition, and let Michael Carter Williams kind of run the run the floor for them and, and kind of get their their speed up a little bit to get the defense a little bit off balance. Yeah, if it, Vucevic, if you look at his numbers, and these are a little bit conflated with when Bamba was in there, but offensive rating with him on the court is 109.7. With him off, it's down to 100. So you just see how important he is to that team and how kind of having a stabilizing offensive force like Vucevic on the court at all times is really helpful to an offense. Uh, lastly, or lastly for the bench here, I'm sure Magic or Raptors fans want to hear more about Terrence Ross. Just, you know, how's he doing? He's in a contract here. Do you expect him to resign? Just kind of, Give me the Terrence Ross. What's he been this year? Uh, well, he is he is probably the most popular player on the team. I mean, I, I think I think every night there's at least one tweet that says, "Give that man a lifetime contract and make him mayor of Orlando." He is he is absolutely beloved in this town. Again, he is he is the he is the 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 tough shot maker on the team. Uh, he is a guy that that just you know he's he's just he just it seems like a very good a very chill dude and and everyone everyone loves that about him but when he gets on the court he has this this killer instinct this fire in him and and the magic just you know the magic fans have wanted a guy that could that could electrify a crowd and, and get them going and you know i think ross will play especially a big role in games three and four um you know i go back to let's say uh the magic second to last home game against the knicks uh new york was playing exceptionally well that night orlando was kind of playing okay they're only up by two with about minute five to go. Terrence Ross scores nine straight points off of three pointers, contested three pointers. The whole building's alive all of a sudden. The Magic are up 11 heading in the fourth quarter, and that game's not close the rest of the way. That's kind of been the season that Terrence Ross has had, where he just catches fire, you know, almost immediately, and 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 and, it, and the, the whole tenor of the game changes. And the Magic don't really have anyone else that can do that outside of Terrence Ross. Uh, I don't know what the what the the situation is going to be this summer. You know, I, I I have no sense what the Magic want to do in free agency. They also have to re-sign Nikola Vucevic. Uh, I have no sense what Terrence Ross's market's going to be. He has had a career year. He's someone that that every team could use. Just again, a guy that can be a spark plug off the bench. It's going to come down to what Ross wants at the end of the day, and whether the Magic are willing to pony up the money. I mean, I think Orlando is still in this weird spot where. They're rebuilding as far as a team. I don't think they want to get tied down too much in in long term contracts, but I do think they want to keep Nikola Vucevic. And so, you know, Terrence Ross might be a guy that that is available in the market and is able to kind of get get away from Orlando in that sense. But you know, I, I'm sure the Magic would love to have him back. He's been a fa- a fantastic presence on the team. He's been a fantastic shooter and scorer. And you know, he's had he, he's someone that that fans absolutely adore. I think fans would be legitimately upset and, and angry if the Magic don't bring him back. He's someone where he shoots 38% from three, which is an impressive number. But when you look at the three-point attempts, he attempts 9.5 per 36 minutes, which is a really high number of attempts, which is a good thing when we talk about Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac and 
you know, do they have the necessary spacing to both exist on the perimeter? When you have a guy like Terrence Ross who's just not afraid to let it fly at all times, that's really helpful in that regard, and particularly spacing the floor on offense. Uh, in regards to his contract this year, it's kind of tricky. I could see a contract for him, if you're talking a pretty lucrative deal, I could see that blowing up in your face, but I could also see it working out. So I'm envious I don't have to make that decision on Terrence Ross. Uh, the Magic are, like you said, in kind of a tough situation where you don't want to sign players and cap yourself out for the next four years because I don't know if what you have right now is good enough to grow into a contender. But at the same time, you don't want to let valuable players like Ross and Vucevic walk for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm kind of in the boat now where I think the way to get better is to is to keep your assets together, especially if they have any measure of success and then package them in trades later. So, you know, I, I, it's a question that's, that Magic fans have been bouncing around all year long. I keep telling them, let's worry about that after the season. Right now, all that matters is you got 16 games between now and a championship. Let's, let's, let's get after it. What was the thought process kind of behind Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross at the trade deadline, you very well could have seen either one of those guys dealt to a contender. You know, a lot of contenders could have used either guy. If you're the Magic and you're focused more on the long term, was there any kind of temptation to try to get the assets you can for those players now and then make some moves during the offseason? Or was it always the plan to go in and you have a team that's going to make the playoffs for the first time in six years? Why are we blowing that up for a couple of late first round picks? I mean, I think it was I think it was really close, honestly. I mean, if you go back to the trade deadline, the Magic were were right on the border of of you know where you can say, oh, we can still make a push and get in the playoffs. I think they were like two and a half, three games out at that point. Um, they, they were right on the border of saying, oh, we can still make this playoff push, or it's it's too far away. We gotta you know we gotta get something for these guys in, in case we don't make it. Um, and, and so I think, you know, I think the Magic kind of had the posture that they're going to listen to offers. Um, I, I, re I really think at the trade deadline they were willing to listen to offers. The only thing that I think threw a wrench in those plans, uh, and I don't think the Magic would admit to this, but Nikola Vucevic making the All-Star game, I think it would have been really, really bad for the organization if he played that All-Star game without a Magic uniform on. I, I truly believe that, especially because he was the first Magic All-Star since Dwight Howard. It was just a, a tangible sign of success for a fan base that was starving for recognition, which Magic fans are always starving for recognition, but just starving for something to get excited about. And, and you know, Nikola Vucevic isn't, you know, your typical all-star. He, he was never going to have a great all-star game per se, but just having him there and having them talk even briefly about the Magic on a national basis uh, was something to celebrate. Um, and I think people were genuinely happy for him that he that he made it. So. If the Magic would have traded him and he would have ended up wearing a different team's logo on his All-Star jersey, I think it would have been a really bad look for the organization. But I think they were always willing to listen to offers, and if something came along that made sense to them, I think they would have taken it. Um, you know, There were some rumors that came out that during the negotiations with Philadelphia over Markel Fultz that, uh, that the Sixers asked for Terrence Ross, and, and, and I think that, that there was probably some consideration made about including him in that deal. It ended up being Jonathan Simmons and a first-round pick, which I think was more advantageous to the Magic at the end. And I think the I think at the end of the day, too, the Sixers didn't want to commit that much money to Terrence Ross either and, and saw Simmons as sort of a, a discount option as well. Um, you know, who, who knows what, what ultimately happened? Who knows if that rumor is even true? But 
I do think that the Magic were willing to listen to offers. They were in a spot where they didn't know which direction the season was going to go, and nothing materialized except for what they ended up trading for Markel Fultz for. Uh, and so they decided to kind of stay in it, and, and obviously it paid off as they made the playoffs. Fultz is a whole other conversation that I don't think we need to get into right now, obviously. He won't be. He won't play in this playoff series. Yeah. And, and honestly, and honestly, neither will Mo Bamba. I, I don't see either either guy getting in. You know, maybe if the Magic are down 3-1 and, and, and you know, Bamba's healthy enough, maybe they throw him in there just to, just to give him a little taste of what the playoffs are going to be like. But uh, there's no sense that Bamba's even close to being ready to, to play. Um, he's still kind of recovering from the stress, fra- stress, rea- stress fracture. Yeah, exactly. Um, just a couple things kind of to touch on before we get you out of here. Uh, if I were to tell you the Magic have won a seven-game series with the Toronto Raptors and they're advancing to the second round, what would you say the one thing that certainly happened to help cause that? Uh, I would say that Orlando shot the ball out of their minds, probably. Um, you know, I think the one thing that, that it would probably be is is Aaron Gordon had – an incredible series, um, a sort of star turn series. Um, and, and that would be very tough against a guy like Kawhi Leonard. But I think it would mean that we we saw kind of Aaron Gordon fully actualized, uh, that he was able to hold his own defensively against Kawhi Leonard and still be able to contribute against one of the best defenders in the league offensively. And I think my biggest concern, honestly, in this series is, you know, the Magic need Aaron Gordon to score. And, and typically when the Magic's offense working is working, Aaron Gordon finds points somewhere. Um, you know, the, the, the split between his efficiency when they win and lose is, is pretty stark. Um, if Aaron Gordon is able to find a way to, to score efficiently against Kawhi Leonard, the Magic, I think, do have a chance to, to win, win games and, and possibly even win this series. Um, so if he takes kind of that, that star turn, if we see a quote-unquote playoff Aaron Gordon, um, I think that the I think that that changes a lot of things about this Magic organization as much as it does change things about this series. And then, uh, what would you say is the kind of matchup to watch in this series that you're most intrigued to watch? It sounds like Aaron Gordon versus Kawhi Leonard is at least one of them. Uh, is there anything else that kind of catches your eye? I mean, I, I'm I am definitely very interested in watching the Aaron Gordon Kawhi Leonard uh, matchup just because uh, I'm interested to see how much Aaron Gordon can can grow as a player and and how much he can he can continue to develop. Um, you know, I think I've always said this: uh, there there was a debate among Magic fans about whether it's even worth it to make the playoffs and you know get quote unquote get swept or, or lose to a team like Toronto. And I I always tell them this: like we know that Aaron Gordon works hard and I think Aaron Gordon's a very good player and, and, and still has potential to be even better and, and be an all-star caliber player. He is a, he is one of the hardest working guys that, that I've seen come through to come through the magic's camp in the last six or seven years. He does not know how much harder he has to work. And I think watching him get a taste of playoff Kawhi Leonard, which I do think there is a thing like playoff Kawhi Leonard, ha- having to see him have to figure out, how he has to raise his game up to another level is only going to make him work harder in the offseason to get to that level. Um, and I think you don't understand that until you are in the playoffs. I don't think you see that until you're in these battles and in these situations. And so I think that this matchup of Aaron Gordon, who's trying to prove himself as one of the best young two-way players in the league, a guy you can rely on to get 18, 19, maybe even 20 points a night, and a guy that you can rely on to stop the best player on the other team, this is a huge test for him. And, and the Magic obviously need him to, 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 to play well if they want to have a chance in this series. 
but this is a huge test for him, and I'm really, really interested to see how he responds to this challenge. Another point on the what it means to make the playoffs, you know, there's 16 game players and 82 game players to quote Draymond Green, and you as an organization just get that extra data point and that extra data set to look at these games that matter the most and see how these players translate. And we talked about Nikola Vucevic and how his game translates to the playoffs. A lot of that is just, you know, hypothetical at this point, and we're speculating how he'll do. To actually get to witness it over five games over the next series is valuable to a franchise. And I think for the Magic, making this series helps you kind of get a better grasp on what you have on the current roster and less what you need to add to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the playoffs expose your every weakness and and your strengths. I mean, I, I don't think it's, you know, there are flashes in the pan in the playoffs. We see you, Bismack Biombo. Um, but for the most part, the playoffs really expose what your team needs to really work on and really build with and how your team needs to grow to get to that next level next level uh, as an organization um, because the focus is so intense on your team. The pressure is so high. Um, it, it, there, there is nothing that replicates that, and, and obviously um, the Magic haven't been able to play meaningful games like this, and I think they've learned a lot about themselves. They're going to learn even more over the next two weeks, and, and regardless of how this series turns out, um, whether it's a sweep, whether it's a five-game series, whether it's a six-game series, whether it's a nail-biter going all the way to the end, um, they're going to learn a lot about their future core, and, and I think that that's exactly what this franchise needs to see. Yeah, I'm sorry about Bismack Biombo. I feel we're partially responsible for that. Uh, and that's the Raptors' fault. So uh, I'll apologize for that. And I blame I blame the Heat more. Cause I, I blame the Heat because I blame the Heat for everything. Um, Son Whiteside doesn't get hurt. You know who knows. <laughs> uh, lastly, just could you give me a prediction on this series? Uh, who do you think wins it, and how many games? I, I do think the Magic are gonna are gonna make the Raptors kind of sit and think a little bit. Um, I, I do think that the Magic do present some matchup problems for Toronto. Um, Jonathan Isaac's done a fantastic job on Pascal Siakam, just like Aaron Gordon's done a good job on Kawhi Leonard for the most part. Um, I, I, so I do think that there are some some things that are gonna that that the Raptors are gonna have to tweak and have to fight through to to get this series win. Uh, I do still worry about whether Orlando is gonna be able to score effectively and efficiently and consistently against Toronto, and, and I and I think that the Magic are you know both teams are very good at limiting transition and opportunities and turnovers, and I think that's gonna hurt the Magic offense. A lot too. Um, this is this is going to be a battle, but I do think the Raptors are clearly the better team. Uh, I've been bouncing around between Raptors and five or Raptors and six. Uh, I've been kind of saying it's going to be Raptors and a soft six. Uh, so maybe there's a close game or a buzzer beater somewhere that determines whether it's a five or six, six game series. But I do think the Raptors advance. They they they're given some some something to think about, but not enough to really impede them on their way to the next round. Yeah, that's the question: is just can Orlando score enough? to make this a legitimate series or are there kind of offensive problems going to catch up with them, particularly against a good Raptors defense. And we'll see, you know, starting here on Saturday. So it's an exciting time and I'm pumped as a Raptors fan and it's going to be a good seven game series or yeah, a, good, I mean, a good series. I shouldn't say seven it's be games. Good series. I mean, hopefully it's seven games, but because <laughs> that'd, that'd be fun, but no, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see this, this series play out. Um, you know, I think these, I, I've, I've long believed that, that the way the Raptors have built is a model for the magic to build in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think Toronto and, and Masai Ujiri uh, get enough credit for, 
for the kind of sustained success that they've had. I know they haven't kind of broken through to get to the finals and, and, and be considered at least nationally as, as real championship contenders. Who knows? This might be the year. But there, there is something to say about the sustained success that the Raptors have had um, in that market with those players, uh, with, with, the, with the way that they've built up. Uh, you know, obviously the Magic grabbed their, their former GM and Jeff Weltman, uh, and, and I think he's brought a lot of those principles, a lot of those ideas to Orlando, and, and I think we're, you're seeing kind of that, that method work in Orlando a lot. So, you know, I, I've always been an admirer of the Raptors, and, and I'm really excited to just, I'm really excited for the series number one, and then really excited to see how things pan out for them beyond this. Thank you so much for joining me, Phil. No problem. Thanks for having me on.